Well, hey, church. I want to welcome you all across the network as we wrap up a conversation we started two weeks ago, a conversation around prayer and the power and presence of God. See, God does have power, and he's wanting and willing to give it or impart it to those who know how to ask for it, those he can entrust with it. So we've been having a conversation to understand how we intersect with that. Now, this is Father's Day weekend, and we're having a conversation about the power that our Heavenly Father has, so I feel free to take liberty and tell a joke as we get started today. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's a story of Moses and Jesus and an old man who were golfing. And Moses is the first person to hit the ball, and so he steps up to the tee, and he, he just gives it a good crack, and it's heading directly for the water hazard in front of the, the green. But before it hits the water, he steps forward, he raises his hands and his club in the air, and he prays, and by the power of God, that water hazard parts, and that ball rolls right through the water hazard and up onto the green. It's amazing. Jesus says, good shot, Moses, but Jesus steps up, and and he hits that ball, but it's also heading towards the water hazard, except Jesus steps forward, he prays, but instead of the water, instead of the ball hitting the water and sinking, it hits the water and just skips and bounces right across the top of the water, hits the green, and rolls within two feet of the hole. Impressive shot. Moses gives that knowing look and a fist bump to Jesus as a result. But then the old man steps up, and he hits the ball, and it goes in the entirely opposite direction. It bounces off of a tree, and then a squirrel bats it back down to the ground. It bounces along the fairway, heading for the same water hazard, and as it hits the water, a fish comes up and swallows the ball. At the same time, an eagle comes down and grabs the fish and pulls the fish way up high in the air. A lightning bolt strikes nearby, it startles the bird, and drops the fish. The fish falls next to the water hazard, coughs out the ball. The fish bounces back into the water, and the ball begins to roll towards the hole. But it doesn't have enough steam to get there. But then two chipmunks run out, they grab the ball and throw it in the hole. Hole in one. Hole in one. And then Jesus turns to Moses and said, next time I'm leaving Dad at home. That's a great Father's Day joke. It's also a great joke to get us thinking about how the power of God works in our lives and the connection to prayer. And I get, I get it's silly. I know that. I mean, golf is not, God's not a golfer. It's not his sport. You all know it's baseball. (laughs) He made it very clear when when he started the Bible. In the beginning, in the big inning, God created the heavens and the earth. The big inning. All right. Listen, people, it's Father's Day. It warrants some dad jokes, all right? It it needs a couple of dad jokes, and I get extra grace because I am a dad, all right? There you go. Listen, God does have power, and he could use it to win a golf game, (laughs) but he never would. In fact, he wants to impart his power in other ways. He wants to give it to us. He wants us to work and move in a way to accomplish his purpose by his power, and the key to that is prayer. Prayer is the greatest privilege on earth. But if we don't understand what it is or how it works, we can ultimately miss out on the fullness of what it means to walk with God and experience his power at work in and through us. So just as a bit of a review, or uh, even just to catch you up if you haven't been here for our other conversations, I want to just talk about a couple of things we've talked about over the last couple weeks. You see... We, as people created by God and for God, when we engage in prayer, when when we pray, we connect the power of God and the presence of God in our lives. 
Prayer is the link to the power and presence of God in our lives. God is ultimately for us. He's for you. He's got a purpose and a plan for you. He wants you to experience his presence. He wants to impart his power, and prayer is the link to doing that. Yet we experience in life stuff that's hard, that's painful, that's tragic, that's confusing, that we don't understand. And in those moments, we can start to just simply to declare, I can't. I can't continue. I can't deal with this. This I can't deal with them. I can't love them again. I can't forgive them. I can't recover. I can't heal. Anytime we get into a space where we're thinking or speaking like that, it is a good indication that we are no longer living in his power by his presence, which is a really good indication that there is also a lack of prayer. Because a lack of prayer leads to a lack of power, and a lack of power leads to a lack of results. Yet our God is for us. He loves you. He wants to impart his power, yet some things do not happen apart from prayer. So we're seeking to understand how we engage his presence out of a posture of prayer where we can experience God-sized results by his power in this life with lots of challenges. But there's one other component we need to understand because we're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about praying in the name of Jesus and experiencing the power of God in our lives. But there's another part that we need to understand as we wrap up the conversation. And it's this concept of priority. Priority. See, Jesus, in Matthew 18, verse 20, says, whenever two or three gather in my name, I'm there. And so he's saying, whenever you pray and gather in my name, I'm present. I'm there. He promises and guarantees presence when we gather in his name. And then in other sections of scripture, lots of different places, but specifically in John 14, verse 14, he says that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. In my name, when you pray in my name and my authority, I will do it. I will move. So there's, this, there's the reality of presence, there's the reality of power. But none of that happens without the priority of prayer. This power is not random power. It's God's power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It comes by the Holy Spirit, be through the presence of God as we engage in that proximity and relationship with God through Jesus and in prayer. That power actually is described by a Greek word, dunamis. Say that with me. Dunamis. It's a fun word to say, but we've got to understand what it means and the definition behind it. It means power, it means strength, it means mighty work, it means miracle, but this is the definition that we've been using in this journey. Inherent power. Inherent. It means that it is. No question. It is. Inherent power residing in a thing. It's present. It's now residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Dunamis power. It speaks to the kind of life we can have in Jesus by the Holy Spirit because of the presence of God. But the key is prayer and praying in the name of Jesus. And we don't understand that that prayer is connected to it. We miss out on the fullness of what he has for us. So that catches you up a little bit on the last couple weeks. You want to see more detail, you can go to heritageqc.com and see the rest of the conversation. But today, I actually want to move towards something that Paul, the missionary and church planter Paul, said 
about dunamis power. He actually said a lot about dunamis power. But in one occasion, he describes actually talking with the Lord. He's having this conversation, asking for the dunamis power of God to remove a complexity in his life. He called it his thorn in his flesh. And we don't really know what that was exactly, but he described it as a thorn in his flesh. And he says, I was praying, I was asking that, that God's power would remove that. And then he says, Jesus, though, responded to me. Jesus said something specifically to me, and then he said his response, like how he's going to respond in light of what Jesus said. And I want to take a look at that. It's 2 Corinthians. Take a look. This is what Jesus did and said in response to Paul's petition. My grace is sufficient for you. My unmerited favor towards you is sufficient for you. It's enough. For my dunamis power... My strength, my dunamis power is made perfect in weakness. It's made perfect in infirmity. It's made perfect in brokenness. It's made perfect in sickness. It's made perfect in weakness. So then Paul says this in response. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, about my infirmity, about my lack of power, so that Christ's power. Christ's dunamis power may rest on me. He is identifying himself more fully in proximity to Jesus. It's the dunamis power of Jesus. Look, we can have it. That the power of God is available through Jesus. But I want to again be really clear. We are not talking about acquiring power. We're talking about engaging it. We're not talking about the acquisition of power to accomplish our agenda or some kind of gain. We're talking rather about engaging the power of God by his presence so we can experience his purpose. We can experience his glory. And it comes by the name and the authority of Jesus. We can have it and we can give it when we make prayer a priority. When we position ourselves to experience his presence, we get to experience his power. His dunamis power. And that power, my friends, it can restore what's been destroyed in your life. It can heal what's broken in your life. It can fix what's not working in your life. And it can redeem what's been lost. That's the dunamis power of God. But if we're ever going to live into the fullness of that power, we will have to make prayer a priority. Making it a priority changes life. It changes a life. It changes our life when we make it a priority. It is a game changer. Which takes us to the first fill-in if you're using your note guide today. Making prayer a priority changes everything. Making prayer a priority changes everything. Making it a priority in what we pursue as we chase him and his presence is a game changer. But you don't just have to take my word for it. I want to look at an example of this in scripture. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. It's in your note guide. It'll be on the screen. But we're picking up in the storyline just a couple of chapters from where we were last week where we saw Peter and John were arrested for preaching and healing in the name and authority of Jesus. And then we find this Lesser-known moment in Scripture, but just as fascinating to me. Acts chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. But we don't really know how much time has passed between Acts 5 and Acts 6. But what we do know is there's a lot happening in the church in Jerusalem. It's growing, but it's also experiencing trouble. And one of the tensions in the church is the, is the division between two groups. There are actually two groups within the Jerusalem church. One was made up of what are called Hebraic Jews, 
Hebraic Jews were, were Jews who adhered more towards the Jewish culture. They were primarily from Judea, and they spoke Hebrew, Hebraic Jews. But there were also Grecian Jews or, or Hellenistic Jews. They, they tended to embrace Greek culture. They spoke Greek, and they were predominantly from all over the Roman Empire. So within one church dynamic and community were two different groups with a little bit of tension between them because the Hebraic Jews looked at the Grecian Jews as unspiritual and corrupted by culture. And the Grecian Jews looked at the Hebraic Jews as as hyper-spiritual traditionalists who were holier than thou. And in that tension, there was just this almost tinderbox of relationship that was forming when the Grecian Jews identify that their widows aren't being treated as well as the Hebraic Jews. And that's what we're going to read as we step into Acts 6, verse 1. Take a look. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So again, the church is growing. The number of people experiencing the presence and power of God through Jesus is growing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So the Grecian Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, anytime you put people together and you have differences, there's going to be comparison. It's part of our humanity and our depravity. And in any community dynamic, you're going to end up with tensions like this. It's common. It was common then and it's even common today. In fact, in a church our size, it happens and it happens a lot. Some people uh, like the, the complexities of a large church. They like the diversity that comes with it and the things that we can do because we are a large church. But then there are others who struggle with that complexity. And either end of the spectrum, the deal is it is inevitable at some point needs will be missed. Not intentionally, but it just kind of happens. And whenever needs don't get met, whenever we feel like we're missing something, that can become a place of tension where disunity begins to grow. And it was beginning to happen in this space. On top of that is any time there's a crack in unity, the enemy, Satan, wants to get in there. And he wants to meddle and put his finger right smack dab in the middle of it. Now you got to understand something about him. He is not creative. He has used the same tactics through all time. What he, the tactics he used in the Old Testament are the same in the New Testament and are the same today. He has specific things that he tries to do to fracture unity, to disrupt what God wants to do and to get the people of God not to chase his presence and not to live in his power. In fact, already in the, in the book of Acts up to this point, he has tr- tried direct confrontation to stop the people of God from living into faithfulness. He tried intimidation. He also tried to corrupt the church from within. None of that was successful. So now what he's getting ready to do is change tactics and he's moving to divide and conquer where he's trying to take unmet needs and and create and initiate conflict out of that so that he can position one group against another group. And that's what we're seeing as we read this first verse. But let's take a look at what happens. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So everybody, the Grecian and Hebraic Jews, the the disciples, everybody in the mix agreed to the plan which was prioritizing something very specific. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, 
Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, in a moment, I want to get to what I believe is the the key to this passage, the most significant thing to pull out of it. But I want to pause and point out again the spiritual tactic. It's the divide and conquer reality. If Satan can position the people of God to lock horns, so to speak, or to stand in opposition and embrace some level of division, it will lead to a fracturing of unity and it'll undermine the effectiveness of the church. It happens. Putting one group against another happens all the time. And in this case, it's around an unintentional shortfall that there is the development of stirring controversy. It's ideal conditions for church conflict. And it happens today. It happens a lot. But I want to encourage you, if you ever find yourself in this kind of situation, to recognize it and adjust. Don't ever become a catalyst of disunity because God never gives his power for that purpose. He never gives his power for that. Now, ultimately, in this case, this scenario, one group had the right heart and one group had the right facts, which is often a great place of conflict. We even find that conflict even in our own marriages. But in this case, God imparts wisdom. The disciples facilitate the conversation and crisis is averted. Now, one of the things to understand is that we can look at this passage and we can say, you know, that's a really great update on the local church in that early first century dynamic. And we can even think, oh, that's really nice. They got some help. They were able to do some more stuff. They were able to be more effective. But I want to just call time out on that for a second for two reasons. Because this passage is not primarily about getting some help. And the most significant dynamic is not the delegation dynamic. That was not the point. See, this passage actually gives us a glimpse into what every follower of Jesus needs to know to live into full dunamis power. If we don't understand what this passage highlights, we will never live into the full dunamis power of God in our lives or see him work in and through us in others' lives. So I want to spend a few moments understanding exactly what that was. Because how we pray actually determines and defines what we experience. How we pray defines what we experience. Our our prayer life defines our daily life. It frames and determines what we can accomplish. It frames and determines what we can experience in this world. And often, it defines more than we realize. It defines the moment we're in now, and it can define the moment next. It's, It's today and tomorrow. Our prayer life defines our daily life. But I want to look back at what happens in Acts chapter 6 to understand this reality more fully, because this Dynamic moves well beyond managing controversy, well beyond pastoral care or meeting specific needs. It's a much deeper reality. Take a look at me at verse 7. So as a result of what they did, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Listen, how we pray defines what we experience. And in this case, three things happened when a healthy priority was maintained and set. The first was that the word of God spread. The word of God spread. And and anytime the truth of Jesus is proclaimed, anytime the truth of Jesus is offered out, it has an impact. The word of God spread. Second, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, but not just increased, it increased rapidly. So those around and near this thing started to step into proximity, uh, a presence of God and power of God through a relationship with Jesus. 
the number increased rapidly. And third, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That in and of itself is crazy because for them to step away from their historic culture and community, it actually created problems to embrace Jesus as Messiah for the community they were in as priests because there was not concurrence that Jesus was Messiah. They would have a big ripple socially, relationally, even professionally. But they stepped into obedience because they began to see and understand who he was. Three things, the spread of the word of God, the disciples in Jerusalem multiplying, and the priests becoming obedient to the faith. This is all good stuff, great stuff. But when I read this, I actually want to know why. Why did the word spread? Why did the number of disciples increase? Why did a large number of priests become obedient to the faith? Now, there's a number of considerations. There's a number of factors, contributing factors. One is just when we talk about Jesus and we give our own personal testimony, when we share that, it has impact. And they were doing that. They were telling the story of Jesus. They didn't have Bibles to hand out, but they had was the information of who Jesus was. They, they gave their own testimony. They professed to him being crucified and risen. That has an impact. That was a contributing factor. On top of that, they were pursuing community, albeit dysfunctional to some degree with two different groups and tensions. Pursuing community, gathering together is a place that God seeks to work and move. Additionally, people who weren't serving began to serve. There was delegation, there was impact from, from that new role of service, and they were specifically addressing needs they've identified with the widows in this particular case. All that stuff would have been contributing factors. And if we read around Acts 6, we see that the disciples were healing people, they were driving out demons, and they were standing against opposition. All of that would have made a bit of contributing factor for why these three things could happen. But the most significant thing for why those three things occurred was simply the reality that the disciples, the people of God, made prayer a priority. This is the single biggest factor why those three things happened. The spread of the word of God, the increase of disciples, and priests stepping, large numbers of priests stepping into obedient faith. The people of God made prayer a priority. How we pray defines what we experience. And when we make prayer a priority, it changes everything. It changes everything. Look, the brother of Jesus, his name was James. He would become the leader of the Jerusalem church. In, in the book that bears his name, James, chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It availeth much. It accomplishes much. And as the disciples and the people of God made prayer a priority, and understand, they all did this. When they all agreed to the plan, they all agreed to make prayer a priority. And prayer avails much, but the truth is, in this dynamic, the church wasn't perfect. But as they made prayer a priority, God began to move. He began to move. The, the, the Jerusalem church wasn't utopian. Man, they had their conflicts. We read some of that already. They had challenges. They had struggles. We, we, we see, see that in what we read, but we also see that in some of the spiritual dynamic that, that was faced in what they were engaged in. But, but the truth is, the power of God is available for those who are willing to step into it. And in this case, the, the disciples, they delegated some stuff. They raised up some people to serve. They couldn't do it all. No one actually can. In some ways, the disciples were navigating the tension of the interruptible life. And so they identified some people to serve. They increased serving. They increased teaching. And they ultimately increased prayer. And they end up reaching a region where the people who didn't know could know 
The people who could know actually did, and those who should have known better actually step into faith and belief. They made prayer a priority, so they made disciples who ultimately make disciples. And fundamentally, when we live that way, we see God move. Because every great movement of God is linked to someone who prayed. Every great movement of God is linked to someone who prayed, someone who was willing to be on their knees in prayer. And as we talked about last week, that it's only in proximity to Jesus that being on our knees is a place of power. In every other setting, it's weakness and vulnerability, but in proximity to Jesus, it is a place of power because he pours out his power. Every great movement of God is linked to someone who prayed, someone who's willing to be on their knees. Now, the temptation in reading this Acts 6 passage is to think that those three things happen just because they delegated well, they managed the, the administrative realities of the dynamic well, but the greatest contributing factor was the priority of prayer, increased prayer. As a church, we pray in lots of spaces and places. We pray here, we gather on weekends, we pray in home groups and small groups, we pray in sent teams, we pray as a ministry team, we pray at board leadership levels, we have regular times of prayer, and we have special times of prayer. One of those special times of prayer is coming up a week from today on June 24th, 6 o'clock. I encourage you to write that date down and then come to our next dwell, which will be held at the former Kone building, which is now Bridgepoint. June 24th, 6 o'clock is an opportunity for us to gather as a church and make prayer a priority as we seek his face and we seek his power to move in and before us as we seek obedient, obediently live into the vision. Our vision, the vision and task God's given us to pastor these cities to love and serve our cities, to seek the peace and prosperity of our cities, it's too big for us alone. There's no way we can do it apart from the power of God, which means there's no way for us to do it apart from prayer. And it's important enough that I wanna invite you to come on the 24th at Bridgepoint, six o'clock, and be part of that prayer gathering where we're gonna worship and then release you through spaces within that facility and outside that facility to pray and spend time in, in proximity to the Lord, making prayer a priority, seeking his power to move in and before us because every great movement of God is linked to someone who prayed. In fact, it was Oswald Chambers, theologian, who said this. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is not something that positions us for greater work. It is actually the greater work. It's the way by which the power and presence of God intersects in our lives. And the disciples understood this. That's why they made prayer a priority. And although we pray as a church, to be honest, we're not yet a people of prayer. We pray. We are a people who pray, but we are not a people of prayer. The difference is the priority we give it. Let me explain that to you. To be a people of prayer means that we start on this side of the diagram. In that knowing he is for us, we pursue his presence, we make it a priority, and that's why we position ourselves before him in prayer. To be a people of prayer, we live on this side. It is presence-based. When we're a people who pray, we start on this side of the diagram, where we encounter things in this life, in this world that are hard and difficult. We know we need the power of God, and so we give some measure of time to the discipline of prayer. This is being a people who pray, encountering a problem, knowing we need power to get through it, and so we give some level of time to seek his presence to walk by. This is problem-based. This is presence-based. People of prayer, people who pray. When we live as a people of prayer, we actually move from prayer to life. 
when we live as a people who pray, we move out of the problems of life to prayer. And being a people who pray is not bad, but being a people of prayer is what is needed to see God move in the way he moved in the book of Acts, where we seek his presence first, and out of that posture and priority of prayer, we see him move. If we're going to see the vision that God has given us realized, we have got to increasingly become a people of prayer and not just a people who pray. It's part of the dynamic. Now, the church in Jerusalem was, it wasn't perfect. I said that. It, was, it wasn't utopian. We read some of the challenges there. But even amidst the conflict, they maintained focus of priority. Even in the spiritual battle, all the distractions that came along with what Satan was trying to do in that dynamic, they made prayer their priority. The disciples understood they could not complete the work. They couldn't complete the task without it. They couldn't do it without his dunamis power. And they didn't let stuff distract them from their primary focus. The, they didn't let the, the things that were happening move them the, from the main thing being the main thing. They kept it priority. They didn't even allow relational drama to distract them, which is incredibly important because the disciples knew and understood that prayer is the easiest way to overcome the hardest things. It's the easiest way to overcome the hardest things because it brings to bear the power of God into our dynamic in life. It is the easiest way to overcome the hardest thing. So whatever you face in life today, today, prayer is the greatest response, my friends. It's the greatest response. If you're facing a loss today, you're facing grief today, pray. Pray in the name of Jesus. If you're facing relational drama or relational complexity, pray. And pray in the name of Jesus. If you're wrestling with a decision, pray. If you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling to parent, you're struggling to lead, you're struggling to heal, you're struggling to just continue on and you're just saying, I can't, pray in the name of Jesus. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests because prayer is the easiest way to overcome the hardest things and how we pray determines and defines what we experience and when we make it priority, it changes everything. And when it's not priority, something else is. When it is priority, it emphasizes our awareness of our dependence upon God. And in that space, he willingly pours out his power for his purpose. Let's do this for a moment. Let's just take what I'll call a priority assessment. Priority assessment. I originally thought maybe we'd do a quiz, get you to pull out your pen and some paper, ask you some questions, let you kind of figure out what is the priority of prayer in your life. And, and let us all look at that in our own individual lives. Because the truth is, you can know what I'm talking about. You can even believe what I'm talking about is to be true, but not actually live it, not do anything in a manner that we live out what we know. And so I, I started working through some questions, but then I just realized all we really need to do is answer one question. One question allows each of us to really and honestly assess the priority of prayer in our life. So I want to give that question to you. I want to invite you to think honestly, to think deeply, and answer honestly, because you don't, you don't have to tell anybody what your answer is. But here's the question. How long can you go before a lack of prayer begins to affect your life? How long can you go before a lack of prayer begins to affect your life? How, how much time can pass before prayerlessness begins to affect you, to impact your life? Yeah, you have some sense or some idea, maybe some time frame? Got something to, to write down if you would write it down? Okay, hold that thought. Because here's the deal. The actual effect of prayerlessness is immediate. To, to have a lack of prayer in our life has an immediate effect. 
When we're not prioritizing prayer, it means we're not sitting in proximity to experience his power, which means we're not living in the fullness of his power because we're not hanging in his presence. A lack of prayer has an immediate impact. And the key to understanding the priority of prayer in your life based on the answer you gave to that question is simply this. The greater the time, the less the priority. The greater amount of time we can go before prayer affects our lives, the lower priority it actually is in our life. I'm not talking about quantity of time of prayer here. I'm talking about the duration that we can go without prayer, a prayerlessness time before it impacts us. The higher that time, the more time, the lower the priority. It's inversely proportional. When we don't make prayer a priority, it means we're not living in the fullness of the dunamis power of Jesus because we're not hanging in his presence. One, one day without gauging, engaging in prayer means we're, we're stepping away from his power. He imparts it to us. It's not our power. We're able to engage it by his name and his authority when we stay in proximity by our presence, when we are a people of prayer who live out of prayer rather than live out of life and come to prayer alone. The more the time that goes by, the lower the priority. So what? What do we do with the conversation we're having? Well, quite honestly, we're all positioned with an opportunity to elevate the priority of prayer in our life, to pray. But I want to encourage you to actually prayerfully consider a specific investment, maybe a specific amount of time that you will engage that will elevate the priority of prayer in your life. Maybe just over the next seven days you'll do that. For some of you who've been in this dunamis journey the whole time, week one I challenge you to pray 29 days straight. Every day ask for God to pour out his dunamis power, lift those I can't moments, ask him to move, ask him to heal, ask him to free. And if you've been praying that, I want to celebrate and affirm you. Keep doing it. Many of you have already seen God move. Those that are still praying and haven't yet seen him move the way you thought, just keep praying. He will move in his purpose and in his plan. He'll move. Keep praying. But maybe you missed that invitation and you can just start today and pray for the next seven days or pray for the end of the, till the end of the month or through the summer or through the end of the year. I just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider a specific investment that will help you elevate the priority of prayer in your life, which will then position you in proximity to his presence, which allows you to experience his power. Find that thing. Just identify it. And once you do it, make that commitment. Say, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer this up to you. I'm going to offer this up to you for you to move. You may not have three hours to add into your day of just prayer. But if you currently pray for five minutes, maybe you'll just consider doubling that to 10. If you pray for 15 minutes, maybe you'll double that to 30. If your day is currently marked by two times of prayer, maybe you can figure out ways to make that four times of prayer where you're setting aside focused attention to pursue his presence. Once you identify what that is, I encourage you to tell a trusted friend or a spouse to like, hey, this is what I believe God's asking me to do. This is what I'm going to do. So they can be your greatest cheerleader, advocate, even help encourage you but, uh, and bring some accountability to, to live into what you've committed to. I, I, I'm committed. I, I'm, I'm committed to the priority this needs to be. Every great movement of God is linked to someone who prayed. Maybe it will be you. Actually, that is my prayer, that as you engage in prayer, God will respond, and he'll move by his power, and his word will spread, the disciples will increase, and priests will become obedient. It, every great movement of God is linked to someone who prayed. Make it a priority. If it's not a priority, something else is. Uh, I'm convinced that there's no way for us to know the impact of this investment, but if we pursue his presence in prayer, 
we will experience his power like we never have. Because making prayer priority changes everything. And we will see God-sized results in our life. We'll see him change things we not, thought were not possible to be changed. Because how we pray defines what we experience when we live as a people of prayer. I want to leave you with two things. One's a suggestion and, and one's a truth. As we wrap up the Dunamis series, which has been a great series, it's been personally impactful and challenging to me. I hope it's been the same for you. But I want to leave you with a suggestion and a truth. The first is the suggestion, and my suggestion is that you consider structuring your prayer times. If you're someone who approaches prayer kind of stream of consciousness, kind of just what's on your heart, what's on your mind, not necessarily anything bad with that, but it can be helpful to structure that time a little. Because with a little bit of structure, we can have balance to what we're doing in that space. Maybe consider even using something like the acronym CHAT, C-H-A-T, which stands for confess, where we start that prayer engagement by confessing the sin in our life, the brokenness in our life, the stuff we regret, confess that, get it out of the way so we can step further into his presence, which is there an opportunity for us to honor him. That's the H, to honor. It's where we worship him, praise him. We just celebrate who he is and, and all that he is. But out of that, actually ask. It's a space to ask. Whatever we need or want, go ahead and ask. He wants us to ask. He already knows what we're gonna ask. So go ahead and ask. But then allow space to thank. That's the T, to say thank you for what he is doing, what he has done, what he's doing that you don't yet understand. Chat is a great way to structure our prayer times, to be balanced. Often we start to engage in prayer early on, we think it's just about talking to God. But the truth is, it's not just all about talking, it actually involves listening. And the more we sit in a posture and space of prayer as priority, we realize it involves more listening than talking. But a structure, a, a format like chat can help us bring balance to both listening and talking. And I encourage and suggest that you structure your prayer time. The final thing I wanna give is a truth. The truth is simply this reality, that God only gives his power for his purpose. God only ever gives his power for his purpose. From the be very beginning of this conversation, we talked about we weren't trying to acquire power, we we're trying to engage the power of God by his presence. We're not seeking his power more than his presence. We're not looking for the answers and the resolution and the help more than his presence, because it doesn't work that way. It works when we seek him more than the answer. It works when we seek his presence more than the solution. He works and moves as we prioritize him first because he only gives his power for his purpose. So if you're praying because you're struggling in your marriage, pray in the name of Jesus, but pray for his will to be done, his purpose to be realized ahead or above yours. If you're praying for a wayward child or a, a grandchild, pray in the name of Jesus, but pray for his will, his purpose above yours. If you're struggling because you're in a place of addiction with a habit or a thought process or a, an item, Pray in the name of Jesus, but pray for his will to be done, his purpose to be realized. When we approach God that way, he is more than willing to impart his power. His, his purpose is life and life to the full. It's flourishing, it's freedom, it's hope. So when we approach in the authority and name of Jesus and we sit in his presence, he imparts his power as we live towards his purpose, especially when we're willing to be a people of prayer. The opportunity for us to live into any of this comes from knowing him through Jesus. We can't experience his power or his presence to its fullness without Jesus. And if that's something you've not stepped into, a relationship with God through Jesus as Lord, you need to check out the back of the note guide because it explains the steps and even gives an example prayer for how to step into that. 
But when we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we can call on his name in his authority. We can experience the presence of God that leads to the power of God and at work in our lives. And we can come to him as a people who pray, but let's be a people of prayer first, who out of prayer engage life, not just simply out of trouble in life engage prayer. When we do that, he moves in dunamis power. And things we not thought possible will be. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Jesus, I thank you that you actually change everything. Yeah, when we approach you, when we come before you in prayer, that posture of prayer allows us to experience transformation and change in lots of ways, but it's because of you. You're the one who changes everything, and that's why prayer changes everything. So Jesus, I pray that as we each process the truth of your word today, we process the elements of prayerlessness in our life, we, we process the priority of prayer, maybe even try to consider, am I someone who, who prays or am I a person of prayer? Lord, may we incrementally move towards being a people surrendered to you, yielded to you on our knees, a place where you pour out power, but a place where you work and move in this world for your purpose and for your glory. God, you, you heal, you set free, you make whole, you give hope. May we be a people of prayer that you're able to work and move through and never have to work in spite of. Thank you for the example of people who've gone before us. May you find us faithful today and tomorrow, the days and weeks and months to come as a people that you're willing to pour out your power because we seek your presence and your purpose more than anything else. We pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen.